Jim Crenn, No Restrictions podcast with Tracy Jane, my co-host, and we are excited about this podcast uh, for a couple reasons, uh, a couple secrets that I have to unveil to you. Um, well, first off, we have to say we're, we're recording from my, my condo in, uh, in the south side, and if you hear noise in the background pounding, uh, my best friend, uh, like my brother, Tommy Barker, little Tommy Barker, um, who I grew up with. He is a handyman. He could fix things. I can fix nothing, and uh, he's he's not a handyman. Me. He just he he's happens to be handy, but that's not what he does for a living. Oh no no no! He's he's a really yeah. He's, <laughs> he's a very successful on, man. Yeah, he's on your list re- of people that do chores. He's one of the most successful people I know. He's a genius, but he really is. He's brilliant, kind, brilliant, everything. But uh, yeah, he helps me out a lot. I can't do anything. I'm like, helpless when it comes to building things. Uh, <laughs> It's it's not a good thing. It, 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 a hammer, a nail, or a, a screwdriver in my hand is dangerous. It's not good. And uh, so Tommy is fixing uh, up my back porch uh, for me, which I, I'm afraid of going out uh, on because um, uh, we were here uh, a few days ago. <laughs> and uh, uh, Tracy was over and uh, she looks out the back window of my... my uh, patio here and there's a tiny little snake all coiled up just out in the sun just it's to me to me it's to me i grew up in a strip you know the only wildlife i had were rats and bats that's it (laughs) snakes i don't do well with i'm a petrified i didn't even come near the window to look at the snake i've had nightmares about the snake I wouldn't go out until Tommy fixes every little hole. He's just I don't want, trying to be your friend. I can't do it. I, I'm not like a little cartoon like, snake. Yeah. I don't. I've been hey, cartoon that, snakes. I'm afraid of. I don't like them all. Any of them. That Jimmy Crenn, He's funny. I'm gonna go hang out at his that's, place. That's why I don't live in like Arizona or Florida. I live in Pittsburgh. We have the cold, crappy weather to get rid of the bugs and sna- the dangerous ones. These are. I know they're not poisonous here, unless there's that one that I don't know about. You know, there's always that one where people. Oh, you didn't know you're about to. You know, the, the Wilmer Dang Wiggler. What? what? <laughs> the most dangerous snake in the world. You well, never knew about are, that, Jimmy. Those are like out in the country, like out in Brookline. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my my country living. When I was a, when I was telling Trace earlier, when I was a kid, <laughs> I got to my Aunt Dee's and, and we'd go in the woods in Brookline. And I, to me, it was like the rainforest, man. Really. I was like, I felt like I was some survivalist out there in the back. <laughs> you know, running around, my cousin Donnie and, you know, my cousin Carol, man. We, we, I thought, this is unbelievable. This is, this is country living here in, in Brookline. And so that's, that's, my, that's the extent of it, really. So the snake, he's, uh, he can live here if he wants, as long as he doesn't bother me. As long as he doesn't come out when I'm sitting out there, I'm all good what with the snake. What would a snake on the south <clears throat> side want from you? I no idea There's what no he's doing here. There's no here. He's just... <laughs> Yeah, he don't bite nobody unless they got slaw and fries on them. That's it. <laughs> Maybe he's just uh, waiting for a table at Cheesecake Factory. We could bring him to the show. I, we, I just want to announce, right? We have a big show coming up. Big show. Uh, Larry Richard, Tracy Jane, and myself. The tour continues. <laughs> we did Steamworks already. We we, we uh, did the Oaks uh, last a couple months ago. Now we're April 28th. It's coming up. At the Lamp Theater in Irwin. Go to lamptheater.org. The Lamp Theater is beautiful. It's like the Oaks. And we're going to do a concert there on April 28th. Uh, get your tickets now. 
and I can't wait to see you there. I'm really looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to that. And, and I got to tell you, I had a, uh, a wonderful time yesterday. I, I did a show uh, for my friends at the FBI, and uh, there were some retired agents, and I did a show for them. Uh, they were, they're so nice. I've been friends with them for a few years, uh, part of the Citizens Academy, the FBI Citizens Academy, and they gave me a little sneak peek behind what they do, and it was kind of cool. So they invited me to do the show for some retired agents, and it was an honor to do that for them. Uh, and the funny thing was, I, I turned uh, uh, Tracy on and Tommy on this show. It, it's called the, uh, uh, the it's, it's, it's an agent that lives, he's, he's a special agent, like the, I can't remember the exact name of the show. It's like called Basement, uh, Special Agent, Sub-Agent, Basement. I can't remember what it's called. What's it called now? Night Agent. Night Agent. Night Agent. So yeah. there's, there's an agent in the, in the basement of the White House He's in the so show. He's so special that they put him in the basement in the White House. And he gets He's calls. That good. When, it, when there's a big problem, they call him and he takes care of the problem. And so we binge watch the show and I'm, I'm thinking, my God, I'm... I'm, I'm doing a show for the FBI, I have to ask them. And I didn't get through my salad of the luncheon and I just blurted it out. I did, I said, oh, do you got an agent in the basement of the White House? And they all looked at me and they all watched the show. They'll go, you talking about the show? So they knew what you were talking yeah. about. Yeah, they go, oh yeah, we just binge watched that show. They didn't, they didn't laugh hysterically first? No, they did. They, they said, no, there's no agent in the basement. And did you also get answers about the Jason Bourne program? There's no Jason Bourne program. But then again, they can't tell me if there was. That's what I told them too. They would have to kill you. Although that was not FBI. It's, that's more CIA. So if I do something for the CIA, I ask them Jason Bourne. But there's no Jason, as far as we know, there's no Jason Bourne program. Um, Maybe. But they can't tell me if there was. And if there is an agent in the basement of the White House, they can't tell me either. So, But they did kind of laugh. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not one in the White House basement too. Maybe things. the snake is a mechanical droid. Underground? Under, yeah, he uh, is. Behind his uh, undercover snake. Yeah, he's a little I don't, droid. He's I sent don't to know. spy on you. I watch a little too much <laughs> streaming TV shows, man. I, I don't know. I fall for this stuff. You I, crack me up with it. You're, you, you are so worried about this snake. I have nightmares over the snake, man. I, I don't know. I can't take a trace. Not a big snake guy. Not an animal guy. He's like, I, I love animals. I'm an animal guy. I, I have a million animals, but I just don't. Snakes aren't my favorite. That's why I don't. Maybe I don't want to like, kill a snake. I just don't want him around me. That's all. I, I don't like, hate hey, the snake. That, that Jimmy Cranny's a funny dude. I want to come over. I'm and, just giving the snakes getting a friendship talk. Hang to me. That's out all. at his place. Maybe he'll sing that song for me. I just want to be friends. Nothing intimate. Me and the snake are just buddies, and that's it. We're gonna stay friendship <laughs> talk. That's, why, that's the way it's. Maybe going, he man. eats crickets. What if the crickets come back? Well, there's a battle. A lot of people have cricket problem. I found out when I had, I had crickets in my condo last summer, and uh, <laughs> uh, there was a battle between the crickets and I. And I won that battle, by the way. Uh, it was a really, it was like you know, Braveheart, man. We were battling to the end, me and the crickets. <laughs> you and the crickets. I had my face painted, the whole thing. <laughs> freedom. Yes, I screamed freedom at the end. I took out the last cricket. It was <laughs> felt bad. I felt really bad. I was getting used to the last. It was one cricket left. It was he and I. It was like. Rocking Apollo Creed or something. I don't know. I just felt bad though. You know, when I let that last cricket went, because I said, you know, I kind of miss him, miss the cricket. But maybe he was just hiding. Maybe he's just sleeping. Maybe he'll come back. I don't know. One night I'll hear the cricket again calling. Maybe it's your Maybe popularity. new crickets will come in. I'm big in the cricket market. I don't know if crickets are huge. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, speaking of which, uh, streaming uh, these shows and watching these shows, we, we all do that now. We, we, we binge watch. We, 
before you didn't weren't able to binge watch. Now you get all the episodes in one, you know, lump sum, like 15, 8, 10, whatever episodes of a show. And we should watch more and more documentaries, all of us. The, the one that really got me, uh, it's been out a little bit, actually. So I'm a little slow to the take on this one, but is it, it, was, it was called Bad Blood. It was about that woman, Elizabeth uh, Holmes, who is being sentenced, actually, at the end of April here. So uh, for 11 and a half years, I think she gets in prison. Who was a crazy, spoiled lady who doesn't blink. She created she herself. Blink. And she, like I worked for a hedge fund in uh, New York for like four or five years. And uh, they I knew about her. Yeah, I just started working there in 2015, not long after the article came out in the Wall Street Journal exposing her. And they, the guys that I worked for, it was five guys and me, and they were all brilliant. And they all thought that she was BS always. Well, well, yeah, but they thought, but Henry Kissinger, Rupert Murdoch, she had people on her board who were donating, or not well, donating, but investing, they thought, hundreds of millions of dollars. This woman had 900 million dollars from some of the most powerful people in the world. And she had a machine that was to, to take blood instead of taking you know, vials of blood. It took a little pinprick on your finger and she could do 250 tests, she said. The only problem is the machine didn't work. It was like a toy. At all. It looked like, like. a Karoo uh, coffee machine. Am I saying it right? Karoo, Karoo, whatever it was like the coffee machine. It looked like that. And you put this little thing in there, and it, and it, but it didn't work. It was, it was like if we just came up with something, said we got something that works and it, we're really proud of it and no one ever checks on it. And every time someone checks, you goes, well, you know, it's, it's, you can't because you'll steal my idea. a ton of privilege and on both sides of her family. And that happens. One of her like great grandfathers <laughs> uh, has a hospital named after him. So she came big. from like a ton of money and a ton of privilege that I think a lot of that was based on Pressure? No, the gene pool she was swimming or, or, in. Well, That's why she had all those connections and but, all those people believed oh, in to her. to get away invest, with it, yes. And invested that money. It was not because she was brilliant. It was because, you know, they believed in her gene pool. And you think that she was, was just crazy and spoiled brat. And But do you think when she was a kid, though, I wonder if she got, like, the participation trophies and stuff, and, and she's sitting around, and like you said, her family's all you know, accomplished and they do these great things and she's a little kid and they're going, Elizabeth, you're going to do something great one day. And, and she gets, she was obsessed with Steve Jobs, actually. She actually dressed like Steve Jobs. She's, she had a turtleneck. She had the same outfit that she wore every single day so she didn't have to think of clothes. I wish I could do that. But that's I kind of do wear the same outfit every day. Well, you day. do, you wear black t-shirts all the time. Kind of, yeah. So. I sort of have that <laughs> that's, thing. That's kind of. Okay, but anyway, too far off. she had but a... Einstein did that. Einstein See? ate the same thing every day, and he wore the same thing every day because he didn't have to. Let me just say this. Think about it, but he Let was also weird too. Let me say this. Einstein, genius, brilliant, life-changing genius. Not a looker. No. Not a GQ guy. No. 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 I don't think the wearing the same thing is a good thing. I think that could, after a while, he probably should have took more showers. At, but maybe it takes away from his genius. I don't know. The hair thing was kind of wild. That was neat. That was his look. He had his own look. You, you see him, you go, Einstein. So I think that's what she was going for, a look. Like, you see the turtleneck? And, no, that was weird. Her. If you watch the documentary. It, She's creepy. Wait, yeah, God the, bless her. And then the series that uh, 
Yeah, they, they, they did a, they a, a series with like, uh, Amanda Seifert, I believe, uh, played uh, portrayed her, which was fairly yeah, accurate, and, fairly and common with the like her like practicing this fake voice that she started using, and that was and, intriguing. To me. And I remember when we were watching the documentary, um, she was interviewed by some show. It wasn't a TED Talk. It was a, but she it was already using the fake voice and wearing black. And Charlie Rose, to, she was on Charlie Rose. Yeah, in she, 60 was on minutes. One, yeah she, she was on. Yeah, she was on the cover of Forbes magazine interview, and I we were watching it, and I and I looked at it, and I was like, her sitting the way she's sitting, that is a decision, that is a choice. She was oh everything like, about with her was. legs kind of spreading her hands down in a very like masculine sort of pose, and it was like she was she was just trying to look like one of the cool, brilliant guys like in Silicon Valley. She name-dropped like them all she, the time. Yeah. It was, it was very weird. She's I love weird. the name-dropping, man. But, I love mean, it. we are fascinated you know? by, by weirdos. She was like, I was at lunch yesterday with Zuckerberg and the guys yeah. from Uber. Blah, blah. I'm like, okay. She would, you know, tout all, she knew everybody. But, but the thing was, though, it was weird. That who in her family didn't say, or even the investors, how do you one day speak as you speak, and the next day, walk out, start talking like this. I mean, really, it was like a dramatic difference in her change of her voice. No one says anything. They, you they, know they, why? Because everyone around her probably thought she was weird long before she changed her voice. They were probably on the payroll, too, getting yeah. money from the they 900 million. They're like, she's not. So just, her lips, so she, she has her voice changed today. So she so pulled a Bernie Madoff, but you have to see this. you got to see the show, It's it, the documentary. It's just fascinating, this woman who's can get away with this being basically delusional, thinking that she's changing the world. She actually believed she was changing the world. But she had, a, like I said, something that didn't work. It actually hurt people. And actually she's going, that's why she's going oh, to jail. Oh, yeah, she gave false positives for AIDS and miscarriages and cancer and all kinds. She did a was, lot of damage. She hurt a I lot can't of people, believe she only, not just financially. Yeah, I can't believe she only got 11 and a half years. Oh, yeah, and she's still dodging it. So anyway, uh, before we switch uh, gears, I just want to mention once again, we are at the uh, beautiful Lamp Theater, April 28th, 8 o'clock. Go to lamptheater.org right now. Get your tickets. Larry Richard host. Tracy Jane is the special guest, and I uh, get to perform for you at the beautiful Lamp Theater. I will see you there. Eight o'clock on the twenty eighth. Now it's a Friday. It's a beautiful Friday, so you could, you could sleep in the next day, and we have. Hopefully a nice warm day. We don't have to worry about snow, hopefully, on the 28th no of April. No snakes allowed. No snakes are if allowed If you have in. an emotional support snake, even if you have <laughs> a doctor's notes, you can't bring your snake to see Jim Crenn. No, no. He doesn't allow the snake. We've had a lot of, in over 200 episodes, and many of you have been with me for the full ride on, on not only my career, but this podcast, Jim Crenn No Restrictions. We have had many very talented uh, co-hosts who have joined the show, and now uh, we have Tracy Jane. And people don't know about you, a lot about you, Trace. So I think so let's, let's do a little bit of background on you. I want to just uh, mention a few things. Just ask a few questions. Uh-oh. Give your background. Am I going to get myself in trouble? Kind of like an interview trouble? here. No, you won't get in trouble. We've got you covered. So, so you, are, you are from the area. You are from the tri- you're from Wintersville, Ohio, which is by- yes. Steubenville, basically, right? Next to Steubenville. Steubenville. Wintersville is where you live if you don't want your kids to go to Steubenville Big Red High School. Oh, okay. Is that like a thing? <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah? It's a thing. Is that like the rival high school or something? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I love Steubenville. I've been there many times. Performed there. Uh, radio DV would, you know, hit that area as far as, uh, 
you know, the, the area that would hit our listeners out there. So I love that area. I mean, you went, love to, the you went to Catholic school, so you didn't. Yes, I did. Catholic school, man. You weren't stuck with the public school where you lived. No, Catholic so. school, though, was different in my era. It was like Shawshank Redemption. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was. Grade school was like Shawshank, man. You were just trying to get by, man. You just want to get by without the, the <laughs> Sister Mary Charles Bronson or Sister Mary Stallone hitting you with a little stick. You know, they, they actually, you pick out people out there know went older. And believe me, these nuns probably had to do this. We were probably bad kids. They're like, which paddle do you want to get hit with? You know, this one. You, I like this one, sister. It's a little more wind resistance. But yeah, it was definitely, you know, Jimmy Crane would have his milk, chocolate milk, and just try to <laughs> get by through the day. I remember the first day. <laughs> I remember the first day I saw Jimmy Crane in the and the Catholic do do it. Sister Mary, <laughs> Sister Mary Charles Bronson took a liking to Jimmy. She didn't beat him too badly. Yeah, it was it was really but anyway, so back to you wait, so so here you are, this young woman who, you know, is graduating high school and wants to do something with her life, and you did. You became a, oh, very. I, you have been successful, and you, you had an interesting path, though, to get to where you are. Oh gosh! You joined the Navy. I did four years in the Navy. I got my heart set on Chatham, and it was really expensive. And you know, Pittsburgh's always been my landmark city. You know, it's right the closest city. So you know, grew up in Steeler Country, that sort of thing. So uh, I got my heart set on Chatham. Did four years in the Navy. Put myself through, and. Uh, it's a university now, but it was small girls' school then. When I was at Chatham, there were less than 900 students in the entire college, and that included the graduate program. So we had classes with like four people in them. You don't ditch class and not do your homework when you've got four right. people in class. It's really so, hard to like, do, wouldn't it be? Huh? Like with part of my like junior year, you studied abroad. I know you'd love to study abroad, but mm-hmm. this I went to London for this. That's pretty um, cool. Um, and so then when I... I was going to go into restoration and conservation of art and I worked for a laboratory for like a summer. So did I. No, I'm kidding. My second <laughs> year like, at community college. I, was like, I thought, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I was okay. like, I don't want to be in the laboratory for the rest of my life. So Restoring art. Yeah. So I moved to Houston, pretty much a dart on the map. And, uh, um, and became a comedian? Yeah. I mean, so I, you decided I started I'm going to be a stand-up? Out. I started out just, you know, I just moved there. Moving to a new city by yourself is kind of hard, but I started waiting tables. Um, were you were you a comedian at all before then? Did you have any? Were you did you do any stand up background before you did this? When, did when you I become was, a comedian, at when Houston? I was in the Navy, I was on leave from the Navy. Yeah, and um, I was in a bar in Steubenville, and Mark Eddy's band was playing. And, Very funny, Mark Eddy, buddy of mine. We talk about it all the time. He took a break. The band was taking a break, and the mic was sitting there. And a guy I went to high school with. You know, we were saying something about me hopping up there and telling jokes. And he was like, ooh, the Tracy I knew would already be up there. And he went and asked Mark. He was like, hey, I have a a friend that I went to high school with. She's really funny. Can she tell some jokes? And Mark came over and said, get up there. And so that was my first kind of attempt. Through in a pool, you got to swim. And uh, so all these years later. You did well? Yeah, I did all right. You got a reaction? Okay, got some laughs? And then um, you're like, you're hilarious, let me buy you a drink. So uh, uh, years later, after the Navy, after college, um, I was in Houston, and I kept seeing a sign uh, 
for open mics and I was telling my friend I always wanted to try open mics for comedy and she was like you do it you do it so you know I gave it a shot and then once you taste blood you throw your life away it's the truth once you, you know, get chase, <laughs> chasing the dream so so you spent how many years in Houston before moving to New York City saying, would you say four years five years or less yeah um 99 to 2004 so like five years and I didn't realize that at the time um Houston had one of the best scenes to get started in comedy in the country right back then. Like that was the Mark Babbitt years at the Laugh Stop. Sam Kennison was from Houston, yep. that era, yep. or that, um, that era. Yeah, Bill anyway. Hicks and Sam Kennison started in Houston. Legends, yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of talent there, and everybody pushed each other. You know, you right. had to be original, you had to be good, you, you had to work at it. Uh, so I started, you know, hitting the road a little bit. Started featuring on the road, and um, I was. Uh, in New York, New up, York was calling. Well, <laughs> I opened up for like Stan Hope and uh, Dave Tell, and Dave Tell gave me the talk. He was like, "All right, you need to move to L.A. or New York now, or you're not going to." Right. Um, and Stan Hope told me, "If you don't move to New York or L.A. now, uh, you know." If you want to do it for a living, at yeah. that Point. He Everybody's said, different. He path, said you have you know. to now because. Your looks have the expiration date of skim milk. Oh, I was yeah? like, hey, that's a standard story. Like, skim Dude. milk lasts longer. So, anyway. But so. looks don't really play a part, I don't think, in stand up, really, because you could play off of any, anything, right, for a woman. Does it really play a part in the stand up? I mean, I mean, you are who you are as a stand up, you know, no matter who it is, what package. So, it didn't really matter too much, right? I don't know, but I Overall. was, um, I'm. I, when I first auditioned for, when I first got a possibility of um, the Montreal Festival, right. the previous year they had a girl that was similar enough to me that I think that may oh, really? actually so that, hurt me. Isn't it interesting? that So that becomes something against you. Yeah. The, that if they, somebody, had, if they even look similar for females, because for men, everyone has a beer gut like me and... Same punch and same, like, oh, well, pretty much built like a stand-up. That's it. But it does, it's a, a bit more challenging in that sense than it. It's like, like um, other fields also. It's tough. It's, right? It's a little tougher sometimes for a female. It's weird. It's what it is. is weird for, for, for females. Because, it is. It's different. Well, no. like when I get Why on Why would it stage, be weird, do you think? Well, when I get on stage, people are yeah. immediately, like, ah, she's not going to be funny. They don't More ex- challenging? They don't expect that they're that I'm gonna be fine. They challenge you a little and bit. And so and that could be a blessing and a curse because Right. Then, Sneak up on them. Yeah. I could if I am, then it hit them by surprise. Right. And they laugh even harder. <laughs> so so but, but you know, as a female comedian, is it is it challenging on the road? Is it what, what, why aren't there more female there are very more and more, when I was doing stand-up on the road more, uh, you know, I'm talking back in the 80s and stuff, there were a few. There weren't a lot of female comedians. The ones that were there were very, very funny. You know, Elaine Boozler and people like that, brilliant comedians. And, and then all of a sudden, you got Sarah Silverman now and all these other comedians. Uh, is it because, as a young woman, you, you, you started seeing these other, more comedy on TV, on cable? Because it was kind of brand new when I was doing the comedy club days. There was no real precedent because... Uh, the comedy club were just booming then. They were just starting. It was the rock and roll birth. It was like the birth of rock and roll. The birth of comedy club was in the 80s. So it was new. And being on the road was not the most enticing thing for anyone. And, and I don't know if 
a young woman, a parent, your parents would say, you're not allowed to go in there. <laughs> you're not going to go with these people. But I mean, that, but now it's a, a bit different. I see more and more uh, female comedians, more than they're brilliant. They're funnier and funnier and funnier. So I, 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 see uh, it, I see it growing more and more. I think there's a, a big handful of females out there that I see doing well that came from privilege. And of course that annoys me because I've always had to like juggle a, multiple jobs while I'm trying to tell jokes, hit it's the road, like that, that any, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like and, almost in yeah. any field though. Like somebody has, you know, yeah, a so, financial backing, it's easier because yeah, there's a little bit a less risk involved for them and a little different lifestyle. But sometimes, I don't know, I came from very poor and I think it helped me a lot. It helped me be hungrier, helped me create more, helped me appreciate people more. You know, there's a lot, a lot of benefits to it that they almost have a... a, a takes them back a little bit. Well, and stand-up, like, getting started, say, in the 80s is different than, say, after 2000, well, well in the early 2000s, I'll say. Because um, uh, that was before all the reality shows about stand-up. True. Well, no, yeah, was, that's what I mean. It was, it was more that, open to people yeah, trying it You had to and work doing hard it, and you know. help your act and build. Whereas when the reality shows came around, they became instantly famous. So a lot of that became like connection, you know, in Hollywood and privilege and that's... But it never lasted. Then, Those people never last. They never, yeah. never have pain. They never have staying power. I've learned that it's not who you know in this game. It's for doing it 40 years. It's your talent. It really is. Who you know could help a little bit. Maybe there's one in a million that it does sustain. I don't know who. But if you have, you have to have the talent to to do it, no matter whether it's acting, whether it's stand-up, it doesn't matter who you know. Because at one point, it comes down to performance and delivering. You know, I remember I was in a movie. I was only in a few movies in my life. But I was in this one movie, and um, they, uh, it was a million-dollar, like, low-budget movie, and, and they had somebody who knew somebody, and they got an, had a role in the movie. And I got when I got to the my for my scene scenes in the movie, a small part. Uh, they had trouble. They they the guy that they had an uncle or whatever who knew he couldn't do it, couldn't hit the level of performance. They had to get they had to, they had to fly another person in, reshoot the whole scene to the point where the movie now was on a shoestring because they took out the budget because even though they knew that person. That person was relative. He couldn't deliver on camera. So they had to get rid of that person because the movie wasn't, you couldn't progress with the movie. With it. So that's just an example of like, so it can get to a certain point, but you have to deliver. And a lot of those people that never really sustain that, you know, that audience. They don't build an audience by, by faking it. Now you're right. So there, are, there are celebrities. Now look at the reality shows, the Kardashians and everything. They're celebrities, right? And then they have to, they're more business people. They're not really performers. They're they're marketing people. Right. So it's a little different. So, but for so stand-up, you're, you're saying, absolutely right, though, about how the reality shows did change it. Yeah, it did. And so now, right. like, if you don't have the talent to back it up, you're just another Elizabeth Holmes. You're Well, basically, you are. <laughs> and it's like that almost in there. That's the, night, the, the thing about uh, entertainment that, that I do like. It's, it's real as real could be. Uh, you are actually connecting with the person you're entertaining and that is it is a personal thing this would that's what i got from radio it became a personal thing myself and the listener were connecting and they were you know i had to perform for them at a certain level and they expected that and and, uh, and we became it was a mutual respect and there's nothing more fulfilling than having someone come up and say hey i remember you doing this bit 
Jimmy or quoting something. There's nothing more fulfilling. Now, there's other people who just want to have fame. I can't see this being fulfilling, just having fame, just being famous to be famous. It's more fulfilling when you know you touched somebody or you affected somebody in a good way as a performer. So I do think there are people that fake it and make it to a degree. They make money maybe in some fame, but not too long. Yeah, there's but, some. But getting back to your point, I'm sorry, is so the reality shows did change things in a way in the sense that uh, you could only see stand-up in the comedy clubs in those days. HBO was just starting in the 80s mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So now you're right. All of a sudden you got streaming and comedies everywhere. So it's a little bit different because now all of a sudden the market's flooded with people saying, I'm a comedian. So right. you go to an open stage, there's 30 people, 40 people to comedian, but only certain ones have maybe talent to do right. it. Right, right. And that's, that's an interesting thing. So you are sometime, takes a little longer because those people are getting in the way a little bit. Right, and at you know, times. When, when I got started, everybody was really passionate about the art of comedy, and you know, it was, it was something that was supposed to be giving. You know, people didn't even want to hear from you until you were like at least in your late 30s, early 40, or 40s, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. they want kids because they're just like well, a marketing yeah. ploy. But um, yeah, they wanted you to live through some life and take a couple of punches so that you had something to offer the people that were coming there a lot of times in a comedy club to, to feel better, to feel good and get some laughs. So, and that means, you know, <laughs> having some challenges that you lived through. Well, that, and that, was, it's true, right? There was one of uh, a friend and mentor it's, who's out of Austin. His name's Tom Hester, brilliant storyteller. He always said, the best things to write about are what hurts you, what embarrasses you, and what scares you. Mm-hmm. And because even if people can't relate to that story, they could relate to that feeling and you're mm-hmm. making them feel better. Whereas sometimes because stand-up has been flooded with some people that, you know, it's a, it's a path to attention right. or fame. Right, fame and yeah, um, you can do that. I see a lot of comics who they don't have that giving sort of attitude. They have more of a presence that um, they think... What I have to say is so brilliant. You should want oh, yeah, to yeah. listen you, to me. Run that and, and, you know, the elitist you know, or ego kind yeah, of driven that's, person. That's not my cup of tea. And, and the, the funny thing is, uh, back to what we were saying about, you know, people that fake it and people real. For instance, you know, and I, I told you, because, like, I can't have someone uh, in front of me when I'm doing my show just because I know them and they're good friends and like them. I can't have someone work on a podcast because they're good friends because I like them. I'd have Tommy Barker be my co-host right now. <laughs> she is really funny, actually. But uh, it is because of that same thing. At a certain level, you know, you owe it to the audience. You owe it to your, you know, to your, so you have to have the real deal working with you. You can't have, that's where those people get weeded out at some point when it becomes a business probably at, at some point because you just, you can't afford to have that. You, you know, it just kills your business. Right. You just can't. Can't have, so if someone's working with me, they have to bring it. They have to have the, you know, it's the way it is. Pressure's so, so on. The pressure's on. It's Well, yeah, sort of, I guess. <laughs> but not for us, I guess, because we're used to it. That's just it. When you're going through the ranks, doing what you did, going to New York, when you do 16 years in New York, the pressure comes off a little bit because now you know what you're doing. So when you're working with me or working with some other of these comedians, you're getting them, they were expecting you to deliver, but you can deliver because you took a lot of, 
lot of time to get there, right? It's like all those years, that, that's like your apprenticeship to get to where you are. I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to work with you. And Thank you. That, Thank um, you. That, uh, I'll I'm pay back you. Here. Here's your $20 for that. So, so, so this is something nice I got out of COVID. <laughs> COVID wrecked up but, New York. I stuck but you had to learn. But you had to learn how to make it. So yeah. because that's just it. When you're when you're performing, uh, like we are uh, lucky enough, fortunate to be in a beautiful theater like Lamp uh, on the 28th of April. Uh, once again, theater uh, lamptheater.org for tickets. Um, when you're up in front of 350 people, it's a lot easier and more comfortable for you to deliver because of the years you took. The one-nighters, the dive bars, the little place, the tough rooms in New York City. That's what gets you there, though. So you just, it's a game where you have to actually step up slowly, like almost like A-ball, double-way, triple-way, headline, whatever, or major, whatever. So it's like, a, it's like that in a sense, isn't it? It's like there, there's a way you have to go through the ranks, in other words, or work your way through. Yeah, I mean, and, and also you have to develop your, yourself on that path as well, because it's not just saying something funny. It's what's funny coming out of you. Yeah, true. So, you know. It's, somebody said, uh, I was at a show, someone said, oh, comedians are like the modern day philosophers or something like that. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. <laughs> or Plato. Or what is it? Plato? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we, well, no, I would have been probably the village idiot back in the day. No, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'd be the village idiot. You're the but, sweetheart of this you, town. Thank you. Thank you. I love this city. So, uh, so yeah. And so, uh, so after COVID, <laughs> Uh, I stuck it up out in New York as long as I could, and that city just got ripped apart. And so I finally said, I'm "That's it. Home. I'm coming back to Pittsburgh." I was I, the, everything was still closed when I got here, but um, you know, it's been a couple years. I'm settling in. I'm you know, getting getting up on the stage and uh, getting out there a bit in the scene, and uh, I'm really really excited. Uh, Lamp Theater. So. Uh, we should warn everybody yeah. that they should get advance tickets because the uh, the oak sold out. Right. So, so get your um, tickets now. Right now they're twenty five in advance, thirty at the door. But it's not about saving that five dollars. It's uh, you might not get a ticket if you just show up. And I want to so. see you because I got my new seat. I'm wearing from pants and a hat at home. It's gonna be <laughs> deck that, deck that. So yeah, it's well. The thing is, it's funny because whenever you're saying. Back in the day in, in Houston, uh, one of those guys said, oh, you got to go to New York or L.A. Now, I go to L.A. every five months or whatever, see Mark Eddy, you know, do, you know, clubs out there. And, and you do, too. You go, you play in New York still and all around the country. So back then, it was different in the sense that you kind of had to go to those markets. But now, the re you came home, you could live here because it is different now. Social media, everything's different. We have our ways to get connected with our audience, whereas you only had certain ways to get connected to the audience. I mean, I only, you there, radio or television, now we have podcasting. We can connect with, with everyone, and it's kind of cool. So it changes the game, and you can live in Pittsburgh and work in those other cities. Now, whereas before, you did have to move there. So that's kind of perfect timing for you to come back here and live here, where your family's at and everybody, and friends. Woohoo! Right? And Better cost of living. And, yeah. <laughs> it is a much easier life. Right? It is a much easier Describe life. your apartment in New York. Uh, fifth floor walk up, one tiny little room. No elevator. Walk up. No elevator. One tiny little room. Any and, snakes? Uh, no roaches though, right? Oh my gosh, no. But Is that a thing? It's a New York thing, You roaches. have roaches and rats in New York. See? I'd be comfortable with that. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> 
<laughs> Those are my animals. I don't think you'd be comfortable Those with are my animals growing up. Pit floor walk-up. No, I wouldn't like the pit floor walk-up. It's too much cardio. But those are my, those are my pets. But, uh, and bats. Throw a bat in there, But, too. yeah, it's a much better life. Now I feel like I'm living in a palace. My apartment is more than three times the size and half the price. That's right. So, That's so. why the burg is the heaven there, man. Yep. We oh, got yeah. change of seasons. We ain't got no bugs that can kill you. Bear's really, still cheap. I know. Beer's still cheap. There's no real snakes that could kill you that I know of. There's always one. They always have one that come up with somebody. I don't even know what that is. You know, <laughs> rattlesnakes deal here or something. But that's it. There's like a little rattlesnake every once in a while. Other than that, there's no bugs that could kill you. Oh, they always go. Everyone says the same thing. Brown recluse. I've never seen one. They're so reclusive. Have you seen a brown recluse? No, but those are the ones that if they bite you, they they eat out your skin. I hear this all the They're time. Like, it, it, it just eats I your skin. If you've known anybody who's been died yeah, from brown recluse, I've never heard anyone die from brown recluse. It was a big deal in Texas. In Texas, yes, We're but not in Pittsburgh. Texas. We don't get that in Pittsburgh. You don't have anyone going, hey, Jerry, Joey, Joey killed over from, Joey from the rocks went down. Brown recluse took him down. Nothing <laughs> happening. Not we even don't do that. Out, we don't get that. Out in the country in Brookline. Maybe in the country in Brookline. If we go way out in the country, like, you know, like the real rainforest, the butler. That's the rainforest. That's where they, they have cures in their woods and things like that. Because it's like the rainforest. It's like the untouched, pristine woods of cranberry. Things like places like that. It's yeah. different. There are more exotic animals out there that can maybe, there are maybe some some poisonous things in, in those kind of areas. Other than that, no. You, you might see a possum or a Yes, and, and then if you go way way out you go out to like you know place like meadville and things like that that's just you know my friends in clarion that's that's, that's wilderness. that is untouched beautiful you know <laughs> that is yellowstone you are such a that is yellowstone of pa man i spent 16 I years in new york and you are more of a city boy i am I. A, yes i am i i mean to me if if i i'm telling you right now if i go out to south park i am i'm Kevin Costner and Yellowstone, they won't take my ranch. It's my ranch. You know, that, yeah, it's just one of those things. I don't know. Just grew up in the city. We have enough dangerous things in the city to worry about besides little snakes. He could stay here, by the way, that little snake. He didn't bother me. As long as, I don't, as, long as he don't bother me, I don't bother him. He's good. He can stay with me all he wants. I don't care. It's all good. You know? You, 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 I'm glad we're recording you this. I'm going I'm to play this back for you. You weren't bothered by snakes, Erin. That's amazing to me. I'm like, you know, that doesn't I, bug you. No, I was bothered. I, as is long that, as they don't invade, invade my space. I don't know why. I just picture you like, you'd like, I can beat the, like, the, like they taught you how to, that in the Navy or something. I don't no, know. No, It's like there was snake training. We didn't have snakes on, have snake training? on a ship. Yeah, that's true. You got a point. Yeah. We learned to tread water in case we fell off the boat. That's we it? Really? We didn't, we didn't have to, like strangle snakes and how long do you have to learn one hand and and uh clean our assault rifle with the other we didn't have to do that did, did they did they teach you how to shred water in case you you joking we no we, they, you really have to take you have to learn how to shred water in, in case you camp. fall off the boat yes you cannot pass boot camp unless you take a swim test did, and, did, and tread water for at least 15 minutes oh wow that's part of boot camp oh tommy's coming in little tommy barker Tom's Tom, here. Well, how, that's all right. You can talk. We're talking. We're out there. How's it going out there, Tom's? All right. Did you find the snake? Is there a snake uh, out? Is he gone? Jimmy would be very upset to hear I did see the snake. Did you really? He came out right. Oh by my God! Post here. He's see. I you 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 sure you're not joking with me? No, I'm he's serious. I actually all right. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I, I need a snake guy. Now you have to. I got to call on a snake guy right now. 
Oh, there's trouble here. It's just a little baby. A little snake? Just a little baby. They look friendly. So he'll grow. They look a little friendly. He will grow, though. He will grow. Ah! See? See? See what I'm This was little. Scare me with those snakes. That's why. It's Tom. You started this whole snake thing. When we'd go to the, the creek in Shaler. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Pine Creek. That's another pristine area, by yeah. the way. Beautiful. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's where they have like the cleanest water, Pine Creek, by the way. We were going <laughs> to bottle it one day. You probably used to drink it. Yes, I did. We'd be looking for salamanders, but we would find you on snakes. Huh? Mm -hmm. That's where I saw my first one out there. I'm first telling you, I'm like an adventure guy. I'm like one of the survivalist dudes, man. <laughs> Put me in Pine Creek with some trail mix. I could last for hours. I'll see you guys uh, April 28th at the Lamp Theater in Irwin. Lamptheater.org with Tracy Jane. See you there. Jim Crenn. tickets. Jim Crenn, no restrictions. We'll put, we'll put some photos of Tommy's work out there. And if I, if I see the snake, I'll take a photo of him with the snake. I'll do a shot with a picture with the snake, okay? But I'll post that for everyone. Right. <laughs> Jim Crenn, no restrictions.